Welcome to this edition of First to Home, a baseball podcast, where I round the bases, going first to home with people from all around the game. In this episode, we're hanging out on the north side of Chicago, talking to Anthony Romanelli, a diehard Chicago Cubs fan that has a lot to say about his favorite team. Jump into the mind of a Cubs fan as Anthony discusses the state of the team, what it's like to be a fan, and his favorite and not-so-favorite Cub moments. Here's my conversation with Anthony. I'm very excited today to have uh, Anthony Romanelli with us talking Cubs here on the First to Home podcast. Anthony, thanks for uh, for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me, Anthony. You are really someone who follows the Cubs closer than anyone I know, and there's really so much going on with this team right now that we're going to get into. Uh, but first, natural question, when was your love for the Cubs born? Um, 1976. Uh, I am 50, I'll be 51 next month, but 1976, it was the very first Cubs game I ever went to. Um, and my grandfather, who was also a huge Cubs fan, my grandfather worked for the Chicago Tribune, who owned the Cubs at the time. Um, so he was able to get really good seats when he wanted to go. So he got seats behind home plate. So my first introduction to Wrigley Field was walking up behind home plate in the middle of June or whenever, walking up behind home plate and seeing nothing but that ivy, nothing but that green, and that was it. Absolutely fell in love. To me, to this day, Wrigley is heaven on earth. Um, th there's no one that will change my mind. Um, it has become, a, it is my life. It is my passion. I've been a season ticket holder twice. I worked for the Cubs once. My daughter's middle name, uh, one of my daughter's middle name is uh, Ivy. Um, I just am all things Cubs, and I always have. And, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, I sent you that message that you can post later uh, about my license plate, the fly the W. Um, it's not as if you were to walk into my house or my condo and see Cub stuff everywhere. It's not anywhere, um, but it's a passion that I have. And one of the things I tell people I know, students that I've had, is never apologize for your passion. And I am not apologizing for this in any way, shape, or form. That's awesome. I mean, it's uh, no doubt there. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, my first time experience at Ballpark was also at Wrigley, and there's something about it that you really are not going to get anywhere else. And yeah. there's, it's been a storied, uh, you know, baseball cathedral, which kind of leads me to my next question. When you were growing up, who was your favorite Cubs player? Who did you naturally gravitate toward? Um, I gravitated toward, I would say, two, and that had to do with growing up and then growing older. Um, my very first love uh, was Bill Buckner. Mm. He was the man. He, there was everything about him. I was a lefty. He was a lefty. He was as tough as nails. In my head, I was as tough as nails. I know a whole bunch about him. I'm not the only one. I know he's only one of four players in all of Major League Baseball to have played in four decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. In 81, he won a batting title. He is the only player in all of baseball history to, when having at least three at-bats, never struck out. Never. 
it's he had zero strikeouts. Tony Gwynn had one. Uh, Ichiro had like 22. So you are in baseball lore with those names alone. And people don't think of Bill Buckner in that regard. He was as tough as they possibly come. He played injured. He hobbled. Let's see. Oh, and if I remember correctly, uh, and you can double check this, but I, I believe he was on the field when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run. I'm 99.9% sure about that. And then this, I can show you that you can then, I can take a picture and send to you later. I met Buckner. I finally met him in 2017 after the Cubs won the World Series. I had gone to spring training that following year and he was there. And if you can see. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll send this to you. I'll send you a picture and you can post this. Yeah. That's a great signature. Yeah. And I actually told, in addition to that, and I'll send this to you as well. I wrote a short story where Bill Buckner, the story itself is not, a, it's not super positive. It's about, a, it's about kind of the trials and tribulations of being a, a kid who grew up in a rough home, but gravitated toward Buckner to, to be one who understood that it was okay to lose. Uh, and that's kind of the message behind the, the story. And I'll send that to you as well. Yes, please. Uh, yeah. And then my second one was, was Ryan Sandberg because I had never seen anybody with such a clean glove ever, just, a, just as smooth and as natural as they came, as quiet as they came, as, as respectful toward the game as they came, did all the right things, said all the right things. He was not flashy, but beautiful to watch. Um, and and his, his short, star, short stop partner in Dunstan was all the flash. He was, he was the solid one, though. To wrap up our, our kind of stay at first base here with some introductions, I, I, I tend to think when I think of diehard Cubs fans like you, there are also those fans, you included all the Cubs fans that have, they're infamous for being fans in the sport that have stuck with their team for years of losing through all the trials and tribulations. Oh. In your eyes, what's it like to be a Cubs fan? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I think we as a collective whole, are always waiting for the other shoe to fall off, even in the best of times. Um, the year that the years that <clears throat> Lou Pinella had managed, you you felt you felt okay that this is going to happen because of his crazy personality that everybody wanted. And then when Dusty was managing, you were so close, you were so close, and then the wheels fell off, and you just felt like that. You felt like. You were always one step from grabbing the trophy, one step from from getting the job that you wanted. You were so close all the time. So what's it like? It's infuriating. Having having been a fan to have seen them win, now the expectations have changed. I, I will say this, that I am of the belief that John Lester single-handedly changed the mindset of the Cubs when he signed. He did it single-handedly. Hand, single single-handedly. Mm -hmm. You saw him. He came from Boston. He knew how to win. There was never a look in his eyes that never that didn't say, "I want to kill you," like <laughs> I'm going to destroy you on that mound. Yeah. And and three rings later, he's proven his point. Um, it was disappoint again having the shoe fall off. He went to the Cubs and said, "I, I don't care what I make. I want to retire here." Mm. The Cubs, being the Cubs that they were or are, they're like, "No, we're done with you." That was disappointing. 
Yeah. Uh, there's not a Cubs fan that didn't want to see him retire. And then to make matters worse in that regard, they brought Arietta back. So you bring Arietta back, who was on the same team that Lester was on, and it's almost like a slap in the face to Lester. And I know that's not the deal. I, I get it. I get it. Lester's arm was, was not as strong as Arietta's still is. I get it. But Lester's a leader, and they need that in the clubhouse. Because what you had, what you had in Ross as a clubhouse leader near the end of his career, you would have in Lester at the end of his career. So it'll be, I'm actually purposely going to the Washington series when they come to Wrigley to see both Lester and Schwarber. I purposely bought tickets. I don't, I don't blame you. If anything, the nationals have become the, the Washington, the Washington Cubs of the, of the East really, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, it's Schwarber now, Schwarber, Lester, I, Starling Castro's on that team. If you could believe that. Um, and, and, Martin, and Martina still manages them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so they're pulling from a good team for sure. Now we're going to kind of transition to second base here and talking about, talk sure. about a really big subject, which is the current state of the team. And, there's so many things to talk about, but I just want first a litmus test from you. What sure. word would you use to describe the Cubs right now as we speak? I, I wrote one word down and circled it because I believe there's two sides to this. The word is verge, V-E-R-G-E. They are on the verge of either surprising everybody because Javi will come and hit out of his shoes. Bryant will come and hit out of his shoes because both of them are in the contract year. or they're on the verge of a major collapse because you don't have the depth in pitching. You are unclear on a lot of things. The, the, the Nico Horner thing that just happened with him getting sent down is clearly what I call the Chris Bryant 2.0 story. It's, it's strictly due to the service time um, and he'll be back in a month. Um, so they're on the, so I'm hoping that they, and again, it's only 35, 36 games. So hopefully they'll, they'll be around. Now, knowing that they had the best record in spring training means nothing. However, they pulled, they being Ross, pulled the right strings to get as much as he could out of every player in that spring training, including Jock Peterson. So, you know, Jock Peterson could be this year's uh, Nick Castellano, where he's the surprise. I think a lot hinges on Javi and Bryant. I think Hayward will always be his consistent self, a, a, a leader, just a, a born leader. I think they're going to miss the excitement of Schwarber. Um, I mean, he, he was never a, 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 his OPS was never, fan, or his on-base percentage was never fantastic. Mm. But man, when he got a hold of a ball or was in the, in the right position, his left field play was way underrated. It was underrated. So I'm the, the word I continually go back to, I wrote it and I have it circled, is verge. They're either on the verge of surprising everybody, and I'll get to that in a second, um, of surprising everybody and winning the Central or collapsing completely. Now, when we get to talking about what you posted relating to your, your picks, mm -hmm. you don't even have the Cubs making the – playoffs as a um what's the word wild card team thank, thank you as the wild card team i understand it based on what i saw because the padres i think are going to be 
playing out of their minds, which is why I think that's who you had as the as the wild card. And I think subconsciously the Cubs need to be ready to be playing out of their mind, or they're not going to win. I yeah. you want you want the you want the Rizzo contract thing done. Rizzo will be a Cub for life. There's no there's no doubt. He's the he's the face of that franchise. There's no doubt. Everybody else, and I think Contreras also is going to be the other half to that. I think I think Bryant's up in the air. I think Bodie. I think Bodie is like is Chris Bryant with, and and I hate to say it this way, without the ego, Bryant because Bodie just hits. He just hits. Um, Bryant has has had so much pressure on him from the time he was a kid that I think that that and then his injuries started to take a toll and then. I don't know. There's a, I'm hoping that the chip shows back up on Bryant's shoulder this year, because if because if not, by by the trade deadline and the Cubs are close, I'm telling you, Bodie's going to be at third and Bryant's going to be gone. That certainly looked like looking like the the more likely scenario. And and you mentioned Rizzo, and I and I agree. I think Rizzo is one of those cornerstones of the franchise where I it's very hard to see him walking. And it, there's a mutual you know desire there. But at the end of the day. If you just compare Bryant and, and Baez, and I think I know what you're going to say here, but if it looks like the Cubs are going to extend one of those two, very unlikely that they extend both, especially with Chris Bryant being urged by Scott Boris to test the, the market. Which one of those are you picking between Baez and Bryant to stay on this team long term? And that's a really good question. And that's, that's a twofold question for me. Um, and here's why. Uh, the relationship between Bryant and Rizzo is unlike any you seen regarding buddies and I don't want to say in sports but in baseball those two are they have the Brizzo nickname the Brizzo brand whatever and and I think that's because Anthony Rizzo took him under his wing from the second he walked in however I do believe that Bryant I think Bryant's and I hate to say this Bryant might be more replaceable Javi's flash and Javi's athletic ability is like none I've seen in forever i can't remember somebody that athletic that naturally athletic top to bottom you talk five tool player that's one thing i don't know that that bias is a five tool player because he's still swinging like manny ramirez when manny was like 19 <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and he misses like guerrero when when guerrero was like 21 so if he if he calms himself down at the plate bias is going to be unbelievable to stop the other thing that people forget about bias is bias is a multi-positional player you threw uh madden would throw and i use that term loosely but he would put bryant in left field to give bodie time at third base bias is a natural second baseman so you can put you can move bias over if you find somebody who is just as strong you know if you wanted to you want to talk about crazy and this is just out of my out of doesn't even make sense but if you were to go get like uh Lindor put Lindor at, at short and then Baez at second oh my god like come on so you in field in the game yeah you, but you can't you can't move Bryant you can't really move him anywhere and the the one person that proved you can do well in left field even if you're not a natural is Schwarber does Bryant have the work ethic to, in the out in the field because that's really going to be his next move, Chris Bryant, I think. 
mm-hmm. um, or, or, or like first base for an for an American League team. But that's he's years away. He's still too young. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think Baez stays and Bryant goes. I think I think Bryant's it's that it's that invisible chip on his shoulder. The whole like, and you, he went from you know St. Louis is boring to I don't care to people are he's starting to rub people the wrong way and it bothers me because I really believe he's a good guy mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. think I think the collective cub I think the collective cubdom for lack of a better term I think he's beginning to rub people the wrong way because he's not uh performing at the level at which we've seen him be capable and I'm not including 2020 for anybody because that was such a a fluke of a year I'm just not I'm, I'm super proud and happy that the Dodgers won. That's like that was well deserved for them. Pryor got his ring that uh, played out of his mind. Kershaw got the, his ring that he deserved. So super happy for them. But uh, outside of th- those that made the playoffs, I, I twenty twenty was a wash. Yeah, it was definitely a weird season. And one of the things I think I, I've been wanting to ask, I've been talking to Cubs fans about, asking them about, and I would love your opinion. And this is a a league-wide situation where you had the shortened season, a lot of teams are, are, and owners are crying poor that they've lost revenues, which there is truth to not having fans in the ballpark and losing revenues. With the Cubs, though, this is a large market team that has built that ballpark that has brought in millions of dollars over the last few years, billions of dollars. What was your reaction to, oh, we're going to have to cut back, or we may not be able to do this this offseason? And, and did, did you buy that? No, <laughs> you know, as well as I do, when it publicly comes out, it publicly came out within the last week that the Chicago Cubs are currently worth four billion dollars. Sorry, that that that's falling on deaf ears from an educator and other everyday workers that don't that can't fathom that kind of money. We can't fathom four billion dollars. We just can't. But when you hear that number, you know that they're not putting the fans best interest in mind. And I'm, it's not to say that they don't know what they're doing with their money because clearly they are, but they're playing such hardball, and the Nico Horner thing is proof. They're playing such hardball with guys that in five years won't even be around. So just, just bring Horner up 30 days in the minor. So you can get an extra year of control on him that more than likely he may very well be, in some package down the road for pitchers, you can't you can't think seven years down the road anymore in baseball. You can't. You've got a three to five year window with every group that you're bringing in. The White Sox are the perfect example right now. They are they're they're golden. They're ready to go. You've got the pitching. You've you've got the excitement behind the team. They're they're ready to go. And and there's no there's no way there's no reason they shouldn't be contenders and you're not going to tell me that whoever is up and coming they're going to wait because what the cubs have done with that whole because now that whole bryant case is going to our or it's going to the baseball courts if i'm not mistaken uh what they did and so bryant may even and i don't even know going back to bryant and i apologize for this i don't even know if there's a sour taste in his mouth mm-hmm. for having been held back because nico horner was hitting out of his mind i think he had the first or second second best average in the in the league this spring and you're telling me no i'm not good enough that's a slap in the face Mm -hmm. and then him then him horner knows okay 
I know why you guys are doing this, but this doesn't sit well. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. So a lot of big questions, and certainly the concerns are there for Cubs fans. But what is there to be optimistic about? What are you looking forward to? Um, always watching Kyle Hendricks pitch because I have, I have dubbed him from day one. I, don't, I think I'm the only one that calls him this. I call him Maddox 2.0 because he, he weighs like a buck 80, doesn't throw the ball over 90 miles an hour. I don't think it, like 88, uh, but there's no one that can hit him. He's got the same demeanor as, as Maddox. It's always fun to watch him pitch. I'm excited for if what I watched during spring training regarding Arietta. If that Arietta is, if you have 85% of the Cy Young award winning 20 game Arietta, that's exciting. Um, Jock Peterson has become, I think, a, a fan favorite. That's exciting. Baez will always be exciting. Uh, I'm waiting for Contreras to take over on the field as the leader. He, he's, a, he's a natural born leader, but he's had Lester in his way, who helped, who helped guide him, not in his way, but helped guide him. I think he's going to be a huge on the field positive presence, putting the people in the positions that they belong, telling people what they need to do. As you know, some of the best managers, but some of the best managers have been catchers. You've got, you had Mike Sosha, you have mm -hmm. uh, David Ross. Uh, they're not the only two, but there's a there's a plethora it, it, from a historical perspective that so many catchers make great managers. He is a great on-field, is, is in the process of becoming a, a phenomenal on-field manager. Looking forward to that. And then the thing that makes me most nervous is the bullpen. I, I think you could have, that reminds me of the, there's a Netflix documentary, The Battered Boys of Baseball, where it's just, you need to watch that. It's a group of guys that were ultimately nobodies. This was a, a, an independent league from the 1970s, I think, out of Portland, where almost anybody could come and try out. But the guys that were good enough made the team. And then they ended up taking the minor league independent league by storm and ended up winning two pennants, which single-handedly changed uh, minor league baseball. The bullpen worries me. It legitimately worries me. Uh, but excitement-wise, I'm excited for Nico when he comes back, no question. I'm excited for Jock Peterson. Uh, Rizzo makes the game fun. Uh, you know, Baez on the field is, you know, his reason, his nickname is El Mago for a reason. Mm -hmm. Back in, I think it was, was it 2016 when they, when he and Lester won the co-MVPs against the Giants? That was the day I went out and bought a Baez jersey. I was like, he's legit. It took me that long to buy into him because he was all flash. But then, then he then he grew into his his own, and that was it. So very excited. Well, certainly there's a lot to be excited about. But before we move on to third base, I have to ask: Did Len Casper going to the White Sox hurt a little bit for you? Interestingly, um, he was somebody I bumped into in a parking lot once um, at Wrigley after a game. My a buddy and I had gone to see a game. We're like, "Hey, Len." Got a quick picture, talked baseball for him with him for five minutes. Super nice, as knowledgeable as they come. That to me stung a little from a business perspective. Because in my mind, and again, this is this isn't even a, a Cubs fan thing. To me, 
being a television announcer at Wrigley Field has to be one of the top five jobs in all sports. Mm -hmm. Has to be. And to leave that to what he claims to be, and I believe him actually, to become a radio announcer is fantastic for him. I'm super excited. Uh, I will specifically listen to White Sox games when he's on. But part of me believes that Marquee, the Marquee Network, had something to do with him leaving. I could be wrong. And so I'm not accusing Marquee of anything. I don't yeah. know anything. Um, I don't know anything. But my question is, is why doesn't he then become the booth partner to, to, um, to Pat Hughes? Why doesn't he become a partner to Pat Hughes and stay at, at Wrigley? You're there with, you know, while while the excitement for the White Sox is there, and I'm just as a you know I'm a baseball fan. I can't wait to to watch Kopech finally come into his own. Mm -hmm. I'm I, I'm excited to see if Anderson turns the corner to where he becomes from a from the bat bat flipping flash that that Baez once was to to coming into his own. I couldn't care less that he made the cover of whatever. <laughs> Baseball. Like I, that doesn't matter to me. Right. What matters to me for Tim, what matters to me for Tim Anderson and the White Sox is that he turns the corner and becomes uh, a leader, you know, like a legitimate long-term leader. So the, the Casper thing, it, it hurt. It stings a little. I, I wonder if there's more business behind that, which of course he's got way too much class and would never, ever, ever say, but I wonder, I, I just wonder how do you leave it's Wrigley. Like, I don't care who I'm working for. I'm at Wrigley Field. I even I don't even know that I shared this with you. I worked at Wrigley for a year just to be able to work there. I was 30, I think. I was 30. I was 30 years old, but we had a newborn. Or no, she was 30. No, I was 32. She was one. Our, our youngest was one year old at the time. Our oldest was one year old. And I went down to Wrigley Field to work at Wrigley just to be there to soak in all things baseball. And it was the greatest summer ever. So it, I, I find it hard to, to leave Wrigley. But again, it, you know, business is business and I'm sure there's more to it, but I, I will absolutely miss him. You mentioned Marquis. Um, a lot of fans were very excited. A lot of fans were not very excited about Marquis. Now that it's been here and you've been exposed to it, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are, are two-sided. One, I feel fortunate that I live in Chicago because I'm able to watch it. What they have done as a, as a company, they've taken the game away from people because they only want to be in certain markets. That's ridiculous. That's, that's ridiculous. That's like old school Blackhawks. Like we're not going to televise the game because if you want to come see the game, you have to come to the stadium. Well, as soon as old words died and the sun took over, you were on TV, and guess what? All that additional money is what helped bring the Blackhawks the money that they needed to get the talent that they needed to win three cups in six years. Mm -hmm. I really feel that by pigeonholing themselves and not because there are so many Cubs fans that are so upset because they can't watch them, and to lose to lose your childhood team. Now I have to go and quote unquote choose another team. Like if I were to leave Chicago, I will forever be a Cubs fan. But if I'm in a if I'm in a city that doesn't show my Cubs because of a blackout date or because that local cable company can't afford to carry Marquee because Marquee Marquee is carrying two 
high of a price tag, shame on Marquee. Because ultimately, for a company like Marquee, run by someone like Ricketts, who claims to have been born and raised and bred a Cub fan, you are supposed to and would do anything and everything to make sure that all of your fans are seeing as much of their team as they possibly could. Right, right. Uh, it, it definitely raised some question marks for me. And, and when Ricketts came in, I think there was, and rightfully so, a lot of excitement. I mean, the guy came oh, yeah. in, we have our World Series. What are your impressions of, the, of Tom Ricketts and the family now? Again, I think they have gotten blinded by the dollar. When you're when you're worth four billion billion dollars, they bought them for what eight hundred and ninety only eight hundred and ninety million dollars, <laughs> right? You know, and and I don't and I don't behoove a single person who's earned the money that they've made. I mean, he made his money, I believe, with TD Ameritrade, and good for him, and good for them and the family. And, and seriously, you you can't be prouder for a, somebody who's made well for themselves. But when it comes down to a family that claims one thing about its love, but then tightens a belt and lays off however many they laid off within Marquee and the Cubs because of COVID, but then you still hear that they're worth $4 billion. How does that happen? So my quote-unquote love for the Ricketts, I don't know if it's love in so much as trying to understand the business model and why they've become the way they've become, because every franchise lost money. They're not the only ones. Right. Uh, including including a, a minor, mar and I, wanna, I don't want to say minor, but definitely a secondary market in San Diego. San Diego's not LA. San Diego's not Chicago. Right. San Diego's not either the Mets or the Yankees. And San Diego, San Diego somehow has a, a, the ability to land all that. They, they landed you Darvish. They landed Tatis. I mean, those are not small paychecks. To, to get rid of you, um, imagine Darvish in that in that Cubs. He was at the top of his game. He's still throwing 94, 95, has five separate pitches. Imagine going from Hendricks to Darvish to Arietta in one, two, three in a playoff series. And you, and if you wanted, you put you put the hard thrower first, and then and then you mix everybody up and kill everybody by, by putting Hendricks in the middle, and then try hitting one of Darvish's pitches in a, in one of his five pitches in a three-game series. Not happening. I mean, a lot of good questions and a lot of things that we're going to keep our eyes on with this team. And you say you say verge is the word, and I couldn't agree with you more. That's, uh, I think, the perfect word to describe uh, the Cubs as, as they stand now. But I want to move to third base here and talk about, kind of lighten the mood here and talk about some of your more memorable Cubs moments. And the 2016 World Series aside, for obvious reasons. Yeah. What has been the most memorable Cubs moment for you in your many years as a fan? Probably my biggest moment, and, and this is bittersweet based on his career ending with the Cubs, was, I don't know, I think it was a game six of the Marlins Cubs World uh, um, Playoff Series, where Sosa comes up to bat and he's on the verge of tying the game against the Marlins. I turned to my buddy and I was like, if he hits a home run, this place is going to go bananas. And he hit this ball that, I mean, he crushed. It's, it's somewhere on YouTube. He crushes the ball. For the first time in my life, I feel a building shake. It shook. Wrigley Field shook. I got goosebumps. The place was shaking. You couldn't hear anything. That by far was my biggest memory in person. 
my most vintage moment or whatever, going back with my grandfather, was we went to a Cubs game sometime in the 70s where it was an extra inning game and the Cubs beat the Cincinnati Reds like 16 to 15. I was in heaven because I'm like, the game's never going to end. That was huge. I was also at the game where when I had that job working for the Cubs, I was at the game where the Cubs fans were waiting to see the old school Lou Pinello like blow his mind, like, and just erupt in anger on purpose. So I was sitting at third base, probably 25 feet from Pinello when he blew up. And so that was really cool. Uh, but without question, it had to be that Sosa home run against Florida in the eighth, ni eighth or ninth inning to tie, I think it was the eighth inning to tie that game. It just, it was, it was otherworldly. Outside of, like you said, outside of the World Series stuff, um, that was otherworldly. Um, a moment that I saw that to this moment still gives me goosebumps uh, that I what that I didn't attend was the uh, Cubs at home playing the Nationals, where David Bodie hits the walk off grand slam, mm. and and the the announcer was like Santa Maria. I play that over and over and over, and that. That was that's probably my biggest memory on like watching a game to the, to this day, man. So so quite a few. I would say the Sosa one is probably number one. The long long the extra long game with my grandfather. The the Bodie memory. Um, oh, and I was also at Jake Arrieta's twentieth win. Um, I have a picture of when uh, Arietta won his twentieth game. Whoever caught the ball and tossed Arietta the ball, Arietta's right arm goes up to catch the ball. And I have a picture of Arietta, like from my seat, a picture of Arietta, Arietta catching that ball from that 20th win. So that was pretty special too. But really, let, let's talk about the, the World Series, the big one for a second. I oh, mean, come on. where were you at for game seven and, and how did it feel throughout that whole stress-inducing game seven? I've never hated uh, a player more than I hated Rajay Davis for what for what he did to everybody's emotions in Game Seven twice. Where was I? I was six inches from my television. I literally, I was on top of the television, pacing with my family, uh, just you know, ecstatic, nervous. You can't you can't get too happy. You can't get too sad. I didn't care about the lead because you knew it was the Cubs. You knew, and again, I this I mentioned that to you before. You you were always waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yes, it's game seven. Yes, they made it that far. Yes, they had that lead, but man, it's the Cubs. And then I felt that they brought. I felt uh, Madden brought Hendricks out a little too early. I know I'm not the only one that believed that. Then you brought Rawson, who hadn't who hadn't even warmed up to catch. So the the. Lester not used to coming in. So one of the first pitches Lester throws goes into the dirt, hits Ross in the face. Ross gets knocked, knocked over, a run scores, and you're like, oh, here it goes. <laughs> and you're, like, you're literally like, here it goes. But later then, Ross, who gets subbed in for his last at bat as a major league baseball player, hits a home run to the deepest part of the park and gives the Cubs the lead. You've got, you've got that as an all-time memory. You've got the fact that Albert Almora tagged from first base, from first base when Bryant hit that home run, I'm sorry, when Bryant hit that ball to deep, deep, deep 
center. No one expected Elmore to tag. No one, myself included. I was like, what is he doing? And he beat the throw. And I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, and then you get, and then probably the most underrated player in game seven was Montero, who hits the ball to score a run. Mm -hmm. People forget about Montero. People remember, people forget about Montero. They they remember uh, Rizzo's hit hit getting on. They remember uh, Zobrist and him pumping his fist at second base and all that. But people forget about Montero. He, to me, was the unsung hero because people forget about him. Yeah, holy cow. Like, I have goosebumps thinking about it. (laughs) I I just do. Um, I've I've even found online, and, and you can do this yourself later, uh, someone put together like a 35-minute video of all of Game 7 where they've just cut out every single thing in between every pitch. It's pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched. It's it's fun to watch. When you're depressed or bored or have nothing else to do, watch Game 7 in 35 minutes. That's awesome. It's, it's fantastic. I'm going to have to look that up. You know, it, it it's a... Uh... You, you mentioned waiting for the shoe to drop. As a Cubs fan, you're always doing that. And I feel like, you know, we're, that's always going to happen. Baseball in itself has a tendency to make us feel on top of the world, but maybe sometimes hold a grudge or two. What Cubs moment are you still irritated with to this day? Cubs trading Greg Maddox. Ooh, good one. That will never go away. That man could and actually has been interviewed and they have shown him throwing a strike with his eyes closed. He's thrown a strike with his eyes closed. And then when he would come back to, they don't, people don't realize how, when people, I, I'm in a couple different Facebook groups and they like, they talk about greatest pitchers of all time. The greatest pitcher in my lifetime, hands down, was Greg Maddox. 18 gold gloves, 18. People don't realize that. People also don't realize Maddox was so competitive he has more stolen bases than any other pitcher in the history of the game. People don't know that either. Plus the Cy Young, you know, plus the World Series win. That one hurt. That one hurt because you saw, you saw superstardom in a guy that, again, in a guy that weighed a buck 80, but no one could hit him. And they're like, nope, we're not paying him. To this, to this day, and, and to, to, the, to tip my cap to Maddox, he knew how much the Cubs meant to him that when he went to Atlanta and then got into the Hall of Fame, um, to his credit, he knew that both organizations had so much to do with his development that he didn't put a particular team's cap on his uh, on the, the bust or whatever for his head, as stupid as that sounds. But that's the only, that's the one. That was it. To this day, there's not one that I, that I think will hurt me more. Now, I want to uh, wrap things up here at home plate and, and ask a few bigger questions here. And I can tell you, for me, one of the most important things personally is ensuring that baseball continues to grow with, with younger generations and, and for them to love the sport as much, as much as we do. So I'd like to ask everyone, in your opinion, what is the key to spreading the love of the game at this moment in time? I think it's the passion that we, the older generation, have. And I don't care. By older generation, I mean anybody older than six. Um, if you're 12 and you have a passion and you have a younger brother or sister that sees you enjoying yourself, you, you, you extend that passion to that child. Showing that my kids know I love the game. That, that's all I, that's it. If you were to go through my Facebook feed, everybody I know knows I'm a Cubs fan. I, and one of the other things I say is don't apologize for your passion. 
So if, if you have that passion, pass it on. The way the game will continue and, and the way the game will stay strong is to continue to pass on those passions. It, it, just, it just will. Yes, the game will change like everything changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you pass that passion on um, and don't apologize for it, it will continue. I don't see any other, I don't see any other way. And I love it. What continues to fuel your own passion for baseball? One of the things that I tell people that people don't realize is it's the only sport that I can think of, uh, the only American sport anyway. There's one other that I can think of, but it's the only American sport where defense starts with the ball. You know, basketball, football, they, they praise and talk about defense, defense, defense. Well, in every other sport, offense starts with the ball and you have to stop what they're doing. What, what they're doing. No. In baseball, that's the, that's the other thing that makes it different than any other sport. It's the one sport where defense starts with the ball. My other, the other sport that ultimately it partly came from was cricket, but no one plays, no one in the United States knows anything about cricket. So in my mind, it's, it's the one sport, the one American sport, where the ball, where defense starts with the ball. That makes the game completely different from the very get-go. You have to be in the right position for every player, every at-bat, you know, for 27 outs, uh, regardless of the whole, like, shift thing and who knows where that goes. But it's the one sport where defense has the ball. So I say to people when they talk about, you know, why, well, Find me another sport where defense starts with the ball, especially when every single sport, especially now that we're in the middle of the NCAA tournament, is is touting the importance of defense. You better be you better be on your toes in baseball on defense, or you don't have a chance. Yeah, it's the truth, and uh, it makes the game even more exciting. Um, Anthony, I can't tell you how much it, how how great it's been to have you here talking Cubs as a diehard Cubs Thanks. fan. The next time anything big Cubs happens, I'm going to have to tap you on the shoulder to come back on. That's awesome. I, I can't wait. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me on this episode of First to Home. Tune in next time for more baseball conversation. Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. You can follow me, Anthony Shulo, on Twitter and like the First to Home Facebook page. We're on Anchor FM. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. So don't forget to subscribe, follow us, and share the podcast. See you next time.